Welcome to Make It Happen. My name is Tom Dalton. Each episode will have an inspiring guest tell their story of overcoming obstacles, never settling, and making it happen. Don't forget to share, subscribe, and review. So grab a coffee. Hope you enjoy the pod. Let's go. Okay, so we are live. Uh, welcome to Making It Happen. My name is Tom Dalton. We are on episode number 26. Um, I'm delighted to say this time we're joined by Gareth Flowers. Uh, Gareth is an experienced entrepreneur and innovator specializing in pop tech, which he's going to expand on because I don't know what that means. Uh, Gareth has founded a successfully and exited previous businesses and has been featured among Ireland's business leaders in 30 Under 30 in 2017 and 2018. He now leads Park Office, where he and his team are on a mission to revolutionize the way we park. Park Office has won the Irish Times Innovation Award last year for sustainability for our new solution. Park Office that's designed to maximize office parking efficiency. Welcome to the podcast. Cheers, Tom. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm sure that introduction didn't do you justice. I'm sure we're going we're gonna to dive right into it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, first of all, I really appreciate you coming on. If we are to go back to the start of your journey, does that start with your childhood or where does that business side come from? I suppose part of it probably starts from uh, my childhood. My, my both parents were entrepreneurs and, and very entrepreneurial and um, they really gave me, um, I suppose, the learnings, the learnings of, of how to start a business, but also the, uh, the ambition part of that, you know, trying to draw, giving me the drive to start my own thing and, and uh, not being afraid of, of following my dreams. And Gareth, um, if you don't mind me asking, what, what did your parents have businesses involved in? Yeah, sure. So my mom actually, surprisingly enough, set up a, a soccer club in um, the Midlands called Ballymatton Football Club, purely because when I was a kid, I said to her at the age of three or four, I said, I want to play soccer. And in Longford, there was only Gaelic at the time. So she asked around and they said, no, 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 just drive to Dublin. So uh, she thought that that was absurd. So she set up a football club and it's still going today. They have over 350 members. Um, so that was that. And she set up a, um, a pregnancy pack. So for women um, who were going to the hospital, they normally need a lot of different little items. And she set up a pregnancy pack and, uh, and um, got a grant from Enterprise Ireland and everything and, and grew that business. Um, but then joined my, my dad. My dad set up a fruit juice business called Passion Fruit and um, grew that uh, to sell into Asda. So, or Sainsbury's, sorry. Sainsbury's in the UK and all around the country. And so when I was a kid, I was sitting on pallets of fruit juice and uh, I'd get in trouble because I'd, take a bottle or two out of the palace and um, surely they'd hear about it <laughs> and Gareth what was uh, what was your education like were you good in school or was college a big thing for you I wasn't great at school no I I would have uh, been more of a rebel in the class I I never really took too well to structure and authority um in class I always wanted to add my two pence and you know you know it can go on a 
can go negatively because the teacher wants you to be quiet and listen and take 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 her word on, or his word on it. Um, so yeah, no, in class, I in in secondary school and primary school and uh, a good part of college, I was a bit of a messer, and I only really started to mature halfway through college, and I realized, okay, well, you know, I was doing accountancy and finance in Dublin Business School, and I realized I can actually use this to start my own business. So I I was uh, setting up different things um, outside of college and I was using what I was learning in college to do that and I suppose that that motivated me to finish well in, in college but other than that no I, I wasn't a great student I wouldn't have been I would have been a very average C student I'd say. And what was when you talk about the businesses there in college what would have been one of the first businesses you, you started? Well, the first business I ever started was in uh, secondary school. I went to Wilson's Hospital in Westmead. It was a boarding school. And myself and my friend, Mike Gill, we were, um, we realized that everybody, all the boarders, so we would stay, stay uh, during the week. They would stay overnight, obviously, in the school. And you'd always get very hungry after study in the evening. And there was no food. So what we would do would, we actually would make noodles and uh, deliver them to everyone's room for two euros. So we'd buy these coca noodles, which were like 12 cents a pack. And uh, we would make a batch as well when everyone was coming back up to the dorms. So they would all smell the, the noodles and, and get very, very hungry. So that was our first taste of margin, <laughs> 12 cents to two euro. And it was a good cash business. And, I suppose they, that that would have been my first business. Um, second, still give you any shit on that card? <laughs> you never found out. Um, it's all all part of the parcel, I suppose. But uh, in in university, then in in uh, Dublin Business School, I um, I set up a, what what you could describe as a pre-drinking nightclub. So I had a, an apartment with with three other guys from Longford in Temple Bar and what we used to do I used to find out that all my friends would come over and stay uh, stay and drink in town and make a mess in, in the house and I found this American model where you could charge $10 in and give them free drink and free food so I did the maths on it obviously doing accountancy did the maths on it and figured if I went to Aldi and got 60 quid worth of beers and eight pack burgers that I could feed everyone and, and uh, give everyone free alcohol. So I advertised it as that and I used to have 40 people a night coming to the apartment uh, from 7 to 11 o'clock and then we'd go to the nightclub where we would get free in because there's 40 of us so I'd arranged it with the nightclub and then it eventually got so regular that the nightclub would give us free shots and um and skip the queue so it was brilliant you know we we it was both no brainer for people 10 euros in get free food free drink and free into the club um so yeah that was they were my early days i suppose and then gareth when did it like was it after college you're like okay i don't want to go work for someone i want to do my own thing or where did what happened next it it was it was it was straight after college i realized um, myself and my, my really good friend, Devin Hughes, 
um, who runs by me at the moment. Um, we we were fortunate enough to meet in college, and um, he was helping me out with the nightclub business. And we said, "Look, let's let's start a business together when we finish college." So we we actually looked into different ideas. We were googling different clever ideas, and we stumbled upon renewable energy. And so it was Devon actually had the idea to um, why don't we start looking at solar power and I said oh well I have 80 acres of land in Lanesborough and Longford why don't we set up a solar farm there <laughs> so for about a year we we looked into um, um, setting up a solar wind farm in in Lanesborough and Longford which which um, didn't go really anywhere but uh, we it was the start of a longer journey and we ended up reaching out to a consultant in LA, a guy called Diego Belmonte, who was one of the world's most renowned experts in, in this field. And he actually liked what we had proposed and um, invited us out to Albuquerque, New Mexico, where we worked with him um, on, a, on, a pro on a project together. And um, that really opened our eyes. We were presenting um, a new project with him and he would introduce us as his European team. <laughs> and I mean, we were 21 um, and we were meeting billionaires and in the room where, while he pitched to SunCal, the second largest real estate company in America, um, about putting solar panels all across their, um, their residential buildings and then charging them the electricity fee. Um, so from a very young age, we got a a very quick taste of of what what scale looked like and we came back to Ireland and Diego had introduced us to some LED manufacturers in Albuquerque and when we when we came back to Ireland we started trying to sell LED lighting um, the harsh reality was the, it was probably the most expensive LED lighting in the world and um, we were still in a fairly deep deep uh, recession uh, after aftershock so that didn't work out we we quickly pivoted into our next business after that which was importing golf products we thought you know the golf market is full of rich people and you know <laughs> surely they're they're still able to buy stuff so like we were young and naive so we we, we imported it we raised money it was our first taste of raising money and we raised um, 30,000 euros uh, from friends, families, and fools, and um, actually brought in a container of electric golf products and golf trolleys and caddies and parts and everything. And we started selling them into all the golf shops around, um, around Leinster. And unfortunately, it was f even more difficult at the time, I think, for the golf industry. We, we, we thought that this, you know, it was a huge wake up call and a lesson for us that in any future business, you have to do an enormous amount of research in, into the industry. And we found it very difficult to get paid. Um, it took us a year to collect on all the sales we had made. And we, we literally weren't able to order a second container. So what we did was we actually had about 15, 20% stock left at the end of the year. Um, and just offhand, we decided we'll put it on done deal 
at market price. And we actually ended up selling the last 15, 20% at full price, retail price on done deal, uh, making the entirety of the margin, cutting out the shop. And we actually broke even and paid everyone back. So we decided to close the company and pay everyone back because it was a hellish experience, you know. Um, and Gareth, and did you, just on that, did you have any issues with like, I don't know if it's even failure, but just realizing that the time was up and you had to move on. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And, and that company was called eSport Golf. And we just, like, we had our brand on it. We, you know, we had, we had um, people buying it, no problem, but not, not paying, which was incredibly difficult. We were a startup in, in recessionary times, and we were at the bottom of the supplier pay list, you know. It was just the unfortunate truth. So what happened was, you know, after about six months, we realized, okay, the market hasn't bounced back in this in this uh industry and you know there's no nothing you can do more like we were working a lot and we were working really hard and there's nothing you can do more to make this happen or go any faster so i think you have to realize okay well if there's nothing you can do and you've tried everything then it's and you've asked other people and they have no ideas as well then it's probably time to re reevaluate and Gareth, then what was after? So from solar panels to golf uh, cars, yeah. what was next? Well, then, then I suppose I got a little bit lucky. Uh, so we went, me and Devin split ways and we were burnt out. We started working um, for different companies. Like we, we were working all sorts of really tough jobs during that time, trying to, trying to give us ourselves the, more, the, uh, the flexibility to do our own thing. So we were working in like, as barmen, we were working, doing electricity, knocking on doors. Um, we were, you know, working in sports, retail stores, and e everything we could do, and um, that would give us the flexibility. And I suppose we were tired after, after esport golf and, and that experience. So we parted ways. He went to work um, uh, on a more corporate journey before returning to the startup world. Um, but I. I, I actually um, was working in Dublin Business School where I went to college in the attendance department. And I just thought, wouldn't it be great if there was an entrepreneur's society or innovation hub in the college? And back then, like, you know, you, th you see it now, every college has an entrepreneur's society, every, you know, and it's, it's, a, it's a big deal. Um, whereas back then, like even, you know, 2011, 2012, it wasn't it wasn't a big deal at all and um i remember proposing this society and i sent an email around to all the students and got one email back <laughs> you know it was like would you do you want to join this entrepreneur society and i got one email back from this guy rob kramer and he ended up um we ended up meeting and he brought these mini pastries he's an austrian guy he brought these mini pastries and I tasted them and I just said, wow, these are amazing. We should sell these. So I immediately jumped into <laughs> back into entrepreneur mode and we actually started baking um, these mini pastries in my apartment in Temple Bar and, and selling them into coffee shops around Dublin. And within three weekends, we had 30 coffee shops ordering. So 
that that started my journey into crust bakery which uh was my next business and thankfully a successful business that grew um to to today and uh i've i've exited my my shareholding in that a year and a half ago now but but it's a brilliant business and and it was um my my first business that paid me a, a living salary you know so it was brilliant um and Gary, just, I know you've you've given us a short synopsis for that, but just for anyone listening, when you say going from your apartments and you you get thirty coffee shops, is next a retail unit or what happened? Yeah, so so it's a great it it's a great learning, I suppose. I was literally you have to you have to be willing to look a bit daft, right? So I was willing to bake pastries. He was baking the pastries in my oven at home, and. Uh, we had bought all these Musgrave baskets um, for for pastries and greaseproof paper. So I was literally walking with these baskets that cost 30 euros and we were baking the pastries in the baskets and then you get to the cafe and sometimes the cafes wouldn't have their own baskets. So you'd have to literally give them the basket to put on the counter. They're buying them for like 35 euros. Our profit margin was nil, you know, three euro or something. And, uh, and uh, it was just, it was just, it, it was getting the ball rolling. So we could see that there was an appetite. And after 30 coffee shops were ordering, we sat down and we said, look, we're not making really any money off this, but there's people want our product. So let's try and go bigger. So we started, um, we went to uh, some super values and asked them would they be interested in buying. And I actually went to the, the super value in Longford first where I'm from. And uh, Roy Davis, um, the owner there, actually said, okay, I'll take seven cases of product to start. And like seven cases was like, one case was four baskets. So you know, that was a mega order for us straight off the bat. So we called a, a baker and contract baker in Cork and said, look, we were baking in our apartment. We realized we probably can't uh, do that with health and safety. And uh, can we, can we get you to make these? We send you the recipe. So he started and we were able to supply that seven case orders to super value and Longford. But here's, I suppose, a bit of the entrepreneurial, uh, spirit on the way back from selling seven cases to super value in longford we stopped in six other super values on the way back to dublin and sold seven cases to each of those six super values on the way back to long or back to dublin and so we had a hockey stick growth in that one day and we realized that that um you know we were we were basically saying that that these things are selling out in the store down the road and adding a bit of flair to it. And once people tasted the product, they were amazed. You know, it was it was the fact that back then, you know, we we had Cuisine de France, which had the market cap for for twenty some years, and I think they got a bit lazy where they were baking plain baguettes, plain plain products and people were just used to it so we were coming in with pastries with coconut and dark chocolate and all these different flavors that, that people weren't getting on a regular basis before now they're everywhere um but at the time we were offering something unique and something um that wasn't present in the market and that was our point of difference so 
we were able to scale all the way and sell into super values down to Dingle. Um, and then the business grew and grew and we actually stopped the cafe selling to cafes because it was actually very difficult and time consuming and there wasn't much money in it. Um, and we just focused on the larger business and we ended up getting contracts with Apple Greens and Butler's and Tesco's um, nationwide, you know, which, which grew us into the largest supplier of donuts in the country in, in 2018. Um, so yeah, so that, that's, that's, uh, it does scale. You can't obviously go straight to supply in Tesco's. You have to start somewhere. And a lot of people want to, especially coming from corporate jobs, will expect to just go straight to the big money. And unfortunately, like when, when you're starting your, your company, you can't just go straight into framework where you're supplying Tesco's millions of euros of, of donuts. Like, you know, it doesn't make sense. You have to start at the ground and learn every lesson on the way up um, in, in, in traditional businesses. And Gareth, on that, was there a bit of, you have a bit of salesman in your, a bit of blagging in supermarkets. Yeah. You always enjoy that, being in front of people. Yeah, love it, love it. You have to love it. Um, uh, it. I think I think the most dangerous place to be is in the office. You know, you have to be out talking to the sale, uh, talking to the customers, listening to what the problems are, what they're looking for, what their demands are, and then you're nimble. You know, you can make decisions uh, and quickly and react. And that that presence actually is what customers want, um, and they feel. They feel um, that you're sharing the love and, and they give you more business. So, yeah, I, I love it. I've always loved it. Um, I think every day is different, is actually a blessing, you know. So, so going out, meeting new people, and that's what it's all about, really. People don't like doing business with robots. Yeah. And Gareth, was it always the plan to get out of the bakery side of things or sell? No, it wasn't actually. Um, so you have to understand, like, I suppose if, if I had started that business 25 years ago, I'd probably still be in it um, and still be, be, be happy out. But I suppose we're fortunate, fortunate enough in, in this age to be in an age of technology. And like, I've always been very, very interested in technology and, you know, Crust was actually the first bakery in the world to accept Bitcoin. You know, we, we accepted Bitcoin in 2013, I think it was. So 2013, 2014. So like back when it was, you know, much cheaper. And, uh, and we had, you know, the central bank director in and, and get, got the photo op with Irish Times. And we actually got a call from a guy in China uh, who wanted to roll out the smart bakery concept that we had implemented, like we had all our phones um, connected to the ovens, connected to the fridge, the lights, everything. And uh, he flew us out to China, myself, my business partner, to talk about the concept. Now, when we flew to Hong Kong, you know, he put us up and the first day we met him was only a 10 minute meeting because he, he quickly, re he, he believed that we had robots. <laughs> and, uh, and that's another story, but, but but we got a free holiday, and we thought we thought he was uh, he thought we had robots, and you know he had read this World Bakery magazine talking all about across the world's for a smart bakery, and uh, 
it was just an amazing time. Like, I, but I've always been a, a fascinated by technology. And I think like when you think about it, the traditional business and food business, like we had three coffee shops over the time and I got to meet people every day and it's an absolute amazing lifestyle business. But growing up, you know, I suppose I'd have it, have had an unusual upbringing in that like my grandfather was, was a very famous politician in America and was friends with John F. Kennedy. And, and like my family constantly told me stories about how, you know, great this man was and great, you know, things have happened. And I suppose I've always had this sort of feeling that I should do great things as well and, and try and impact the world in some way. And, and that's like, I just saw technology and, as that way to do it. So I've all, I, about four years into cross, I started trying to think about other technology um, applications that I could, I could do. I was, I was one of the first hundred listers on Airbnb. So I had my uh, house listed on Airbnb and, um, and yeah, it was just a side story. I suppose I rent sub rented a house and, was renting all four rooms, including my own on Airbnb. And, you know, my fiance now tells the story of how when we started going out, she's like, are we going back to yours? And I, I was saying, like, I've actually rented out my house. <laughs> so I'm going to sneak into the couch at like 3 a.m. and <laughs> sneak yeah. out in the morning. Uh, but that was that was the chancer I was back then and and like I just was fascinated with this game of business and um and with technology um I bought a car and uh when when uh, things were going going well with cross I bought a car and, and actually the first day driving the car in Dublin um I, I couldn't find any parking and I don't know if it's the same with yourself but driving around Dublin it was just chaos, you know, couldn't find any parking. And I was driving through Ranala and I just started seeing all this open space in front of people's homes. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to just drive in and knock on the door and ask them if I could park there. So I did. And I drove in and this lady opened the door and, and she, she said, yeah, no problem. <laughs> I said, That's, thanks so much. Your lifesaver. So I came back a few late, few, few hours later and, and gave her chocolates and a tenner and she was like geez I should do this all the time and that was one of those light bulb moments where you know I was like why don't people rent out their driveway you know parking is such a pain and people have so many driveways you know so and so much space and um, so that's where Park PMP my first technology company came from and it, you know we we having that company meant that I was able to um I was able to jump into the technology world and and I suppose since that started I started to realize okay well you know you have to really focus here and and that's when I started looking for for buyers for for crust um and and thankfully I was able to find some some good good people for that um but I suppose Park PMP grew we raised half a million euros in in pre pre-revenue capital um off the bat with enterprise ireland and some high net worths and um and then we started to scale we we hired 14 people 
um, and we roll out the product. Uh, initially, we had our MVP. So this is, a, I suppose, a lesson for anyone looking to start a business. Um, raising the money, we, we decided that we would create a minimum viable product. So it's essentially like an app that basically does the basics, um, a website that does the very basics. And then I went out, knocked on doors and got 300 people signed up uh, to rent out their space in the space of four weeks. So I was actually on the ground, knocking on doors, knocking on doors. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose I learned my, got my experience from electricity, you know, asking people to change their electricity bill, uh, which wasn't easy either. So knocking on doors and telling people they can make free money is, is actually way easier. Um, the fact that you can rent out a parking space, not allow, you not need to bring people into your home, you know, just allow them to park in your driveway for a few hours, make 20 quid actually is a win-win for the majority of people. Um, I think that so, on that point, I think that especially in, you've mentioned it earlier, I think people forget sometimes asking the questions, knocking on doors, maybe chasing business that way. I think it's lost modern times. I yeah. think, as you were saying, you made the point earlier that like people maybe just think that they're getting investors and you're the top line money sometimes, but sometimes it is that dog work. Mm. Yeah. It, it's one thing, I, especially in my business, I always try and go back to that. If something's not working, I'm like, okay, how do I get in front of the right customer? Is it knocking on doors, networking, getting in front of people? Something so simple. So simple. So simple. But it, it's terrifying for most because, yeah. you know, the culture we've, we've, we've we've built is one that you go through the motion you go through the phases you don't put yourself in uncomfortable situations and like you know it's unfortunate to see that you know that that it it, it isn't taught you know you should you should uh, everyone should have their kids be put in uncomfortable positions so they realize that growth only comes from those positions you know and and i think i think we'll see definitely over the next 20 years we'll see the people who are brought up to be to to learn that will will grow quicker um definitely because it's too cozy we live in a very cozy society we you know we play with ipads now as kids you know we're sitting inside in our lovely warm house you know and internet you know what happened the perfect example of this is who, how many people freak out if internet goes, you know? How long do you think you could last with, <laughs> without internet? And, uh, yeah, some very interesting stats on that. Just, just on the app side of things, I've had a couple of people on the podcast and I've talked about apps, and I've heard it. For two things I've heard is they can be headaches to try and develop, and the money can be endless going into them. Yeah, 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 that, that, that is... That is true. Um, I suppose in technology, you know, I realized quite quickly that, that I needed a technical co-founder. Um, so I went out to different people and asked them would they get involved, asked some agencies and got some ridiculous numbers back. You know, I think like someone quoted me 250,000 uh, to develop the app. And, and off, the, off the bat, I thought, you know, this is a startup pal you know um i don't know where you're getting these figures and i suppose i got lucky in that i um i i, I was delivering a catering basket of pastries to bank of ireland one evening 
and there was a startup showcase. So um, there was this company up there on the stage and they were presenting their product. And I just remember looking at it and going, wow, the website and the apps look amazing. And I, I started to talk to the guys then after. I waited around after and started to talk to them. And I realized that their business model was really bad. <laughs> I was just like, okay, the website and the app standard is beautiful. It's really, really nice. But all the guys were developers, you know, so they probably didn't have the commercial mindset attached. So I said to them, look, you know, I'd love to invite you down to the coffee shop to, to have, ha have a coffee and discuss my business idea. So they did. They came down and I got to meet my co-founder, future co-founder, Daniel Paul. He's a young tech genius. You know, he's one of these whiz kids who, who was able to design up sketches of what the product would look like in the future. And, and with uh, the rest of the guys came on board as shareholders in the company. And uh, we built the MVP in 30 days. And, and like there was no, you know, there was no monetary value there. We were just building it because we wanted to build something um, that would help potentially change the world. And that, that's the sort of thing you need to find in co-founders and business partners. You need to find people who are aligned in your values, in your direction. But yeah, in terms of money, it can be very expensive. And no doubt, you know, we've raised 1.5 million and the majority of that over, over four years has gone into product development, you know, um, because we live in an age of fast moving technology, you have to keep moving, you have to keep developing and the companies that don't actually end up stagnating and then, and then losing a lot of business to, to new incumbents, you know. And Gareth has Park. Is a PNP pivoted into Park Office, or talk to me about that? Yeah, so so it's I, I would see it as a next generation solution. Um, we have so Park PNP was growing quite quickly um, until COVID. Um, every month it was growing, and I suppose eighteen months ago we um, I was actually I was actually called by a pharmaceutical company large pharma and they asked could we find 50 parking spaces for them so in park pmp we we lit we have over twenty four thousand parking spaces on the marketplace and um, all across the country so people can then rent these spaces through through carpmp.com but essentially this company had tasked us to find them 50 spaces around their their building because they they had more staff that wanted the space so we did that we found the space and then when we went in to meet uh, the, the, the company and the executives there and signed the contract, it was actually myself who was going in because it was a pretty big contract size and I was going in to sign the agreement with them. And when I drove into their car park, it was, there was 50 empty spaces in their car park. And I remember thinking to myself, I was like, Gart, don't shoot yourself in the foot here. Just say nothing, yeah. sign the contract and go about your business. <laughs> and I'm just too, unfortunately, I'm way too curious. So I went up and I said, guys, I know I'm shooting myself in the foot here. And, but I have to know, like, why are you paying me for 50 spaces when you have 50 empty spaces in the car park? And they said, well, Gareth, that those spaces are designated to senior uh, members of staff, but they're out at meetings, out sick or on holidays. Um, so the space go empty. And I just thought that was absolutely bonkers. 
and and I said, well, if if I try and build a solution, would you use it? And they said they would. Uh, so we actually started building Park Office then uh, as a prototype, and what we found is is that it's it's an enormous problem. If you look at the empty space um, in America alone, like you have the the open marketplace, which is what you call car parks and normal, the no, where you park normally on the street, car parks. There's actually the same amount of parking spaces in office buildings as all of those car parks and all of those on-street parking in office car parks across mm-hmm. America. And if you, if you look at if you look at office buildings on average between 20 and 40% every single day lie empty. So it's an enormous amount of empty space every single day. And as we talk about smart cities and smart industries going forward, you know, we just realized that if we create this solution that managed the car park better and maximized the use of space, then, then wouldn't it be a, a solution worth having? And, and that's what we did. We created park office and our customers started telling other friends and other companies about it and it scaled very quickly. And, and now we're working with, I think it's seven fortune 500s uh, and some of the biggest companies in the world, uh, thousands of people parking with us every day. And it's, it's um, yeah, it's maximizing space. It's about integrating with and, and making a seamless workflow as well. So, so it's really, really a smart solution and the companies the company as as we grow now are, are have more of a focus on park office because it's it's just a very scalable um solution uh, and and exciting times ahead and gareth probably a big question here now but would your plan be to keep scaling to get out exit what's the long-term thoughts at the moment yeah great Why question COVID? great question well COVID's been a very unusual one because we obviously, like everyone else, you know, we, we in March, things stopped. Um, I suppose for us, people need to drive for our solution to work. So essentially, our, our both solutions to work. So essentially, in February, we had our best month ever as a business. And then in March, things fell off a cliff. And, and you know, April... May and now in June we've actually seen a, a really good pickup and and things have totally turned around and I actually credit that to the team and 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 how we handle it so like first thing we did was we actually started talking to our customers about what what would be the next step and where do they see the future and what what do they need help on right now and our customers actually asked you know we're trying to figure out how do we ask our staff how they're feeling on a daily basis and, and to get to, to talk to them before they actually arrive at the, at the office sick with COVID. So, you know, what we did was we, we created this um, health check checker um, for every staff member. So what they did was you would put in that you're coming to the office next week on this day and and what we would do is we'd send you a, a message an hour before your attendance was about to start and it would say you know how are you feeling today um 
do you have any symptoms of this, of COVID-19? Have you met with anyone you feel may have had symptoms and, and so on and so forth? And three quick questions. And if they answered yes to any of them, then they would get an automatic, you know, it's probably best for you to stay at home today and HR will be in touch. And this is a very quick, easy solution, but you'd be surprised. Some companies were sending emails to all of their staff every single day and having to manage that process and this is all automated. And it's just these things that, that help companies out. We, we, we did that for free for, for our clients um, just to help them out during this time because we, myself and my co-founder are trying to figure out how we could help uh, during this time as well, you know? So that was one. And then we started allocating desks with our parking because what Park Office has built is one of the world's best park, uh, allocation systems and um, we call our algorithm um, Newton because it crunches all the numbers. Um, but essentially, it, it does all the hard work and spits out, spits out the information in easy, digestible format. And, and we started linking in uh, desk booking as well for, for some companies that needed help on that as well. So like, that's, where we, that's where we started as a as, uh, start of COVID. When you ask about where do I see the future? Like if you had asked me before COVID, we were looking at how do we raise more money and how do we scale as quickly as possible? I think like a lot of people, COVID has given people time to reflect. And, you know, over the, over the months, I've been able to reflect with the board and, and with everybody about how big we can take this company. And I think that, you know, Salesforce built an amazing business over 19 years, 20 years plus, and and that's that's what we want for Park Office. And I think that we can build a generational business um, over the next 20 years. So, of course, you know, I'll probably eat my hat now if Salesforce come in and, and buy buy us in two years, and and you send me a message and say, ha ha, you you know, but but I I I, I believe that we're definitely planning for the long term and, and growing as big a business as we can and um, becoming one of Ireland's most successful companies. That's, that's the aim that actually make an impact in the, in the world. Brilliant, man. I've no, I've no doubt you're going to get there. Um, Garrett, what, what I'd like to do is I'm just conscious of uh, your time. A couple of kind of quick fire questions. Hope you're controlling. Sure. Um, What's the biggest lesson you've learned in life so far? God, tough one. Biggest lesson. Um, have no regrets. Just go for it and you'll always feel better. That's a, that's a very nice, a, a simple, clean answer. Um, and then I suppose on that, like you've, it sounds like you've had some mentors along the way and you've been able to work with some really amazing partners and people and what's the best piece of advice you've ever ever gotten yeah i i definitely have i would advise everyone to get a, a mentor or two or three and and listen um more than talk <laughs> and the, the best advice i've ever get uh, gotten was that it's a marathon and not a sprint um initially you know i was trying to become the overnight millionaire and and that can actually stress you out and burn you out. Good things My take time. Houses, the yachts, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good, good things take time. And 
a great graph that I have is the is the Warren Buffett uh, age versus wealth graph. You know where you see you see the the percentage of wealth over time and and it's compounding. But but essentially, it takes it can take a decade. You know to to get there and and uh, it, you might not even get there. So you have to realize to enjoy every day that you're trying to go after your dream and, and that's the real goal actually is to be able to pay yourself to do what you love um, secondary is if you can do all that and what you end up realizing like I have is that it's not about be, being the title billionaire or millionaire it's actually the fact that you have more time to do things that you want to do and Gareth just last couple here questions is there any apps or daily logs or anything you use daily that has helped you in life and in business? Yeah, there are, there are a few quick ones. Um, I use the calendar app all the time. Um, I even leave notes after every event and um, just two or three quick bullet point notes of what I thought of it. Um, so the calendar app is, is a godsend. Um, I use a zero uh, Z-E-R-O for fasting. Um, I use obviously the stop clock working out. Um, I use HubSpot for sales. Um, I use Buy Me for delivery of my groceries. And um, any other good ones? I suppose that's that's probably that's probably it. I try and avoid social media as much as possible. Really? Yeah. Yeah. As much as possible, I go on and post regularly enough i'll go on and actually make an effort to do 30 minutes of just post and then i'll have a timer to cut me off and because you it's a vortex yeah yeah it's true uh, thomas arnold was on the pod he's a very good friend of mine you know thomas he put us in touch but uh yeah lovely he guy makes a point to me he's it, and i always think about it he's very conscious of what he consumes and for a 24 year old kid telling me a 34 year old man i was like that's very interesting yeah, and it kind of it stood with me ever since. I suppose just on that, Garrett, uh, probably just last couple of questions. Um, I know I've said that twice now, but anyway, um, book recommendations or podcasts? Is there anything you recommend to any of the listeners? Um, this book is very good. It's high output management, um, and it's 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 an absolute uh, brilliant book. It's very condensed. It's it's by a guy called Andrew Grove. Um, former chairman and CEO of Intel, but uh, it's very, very good. It's condensed knowledge. You know, you read it slowly, but you take in the learnings. And for anyone who's running a business right now, that's a brilliant one. For anyone who's not running a, bi a business right now, um, the the Five AM Club is a brilliant book um, by Robin Sharma, and um, yeah, definitely changed my mindset in a big and positive way, and. I think I think anyone who reads it will definitely be more motivated um, to to improve. So there there's two podcasts. You know, this podcast would be brilliant um, <laughs> and a plug for you. I think you know the the I kind of started watching podcasts slash YouTube's. So the Passionate Few is a good one um, by this guy Omar Elital. I quite like that. And um, he talks to people about their upbringing and, and, and how they made it in business, quite like that. Um, 
and yeah, so so I suppose that would be be a good one. I suppose there's also the Reed Hoffman um, podcasts, which are brilliant as well. Cool. And Gareth, just to finish off, where can people stay connected with you or find out about you? Yeah, so so Gareth G A R R E T Flower uh, on Instagram, and um, also I'm launching a YouTube channel. So Gareth Flower on YouTube, um, check it out. Probably the first one launching this week. Don't hate me, you know it's really hard to do um, edits, but uh, but yeah, so I'm I'm rolling that out, and they're gonna do one vlog a week um, on anything business, starting your own business, and. Um, the journey so far brilliant well listen i just want to say a big thanks for having you on and it's been an absolute pleasure getting your story and hearing your journey cheers thanks a million Tom. Thanks,